Well, we are moving along in the book of Revelation, and I think this is the fifth message I've given on Revelation. Once we had a warm-up to see whether we could really take it and appreciate it, and by your responses that you wanted us to continue, then I backed up to chapter one, and we started off on our journey through the book of Revelation. This, in some ways, is probably the most unique book of the Bible by the fact that it is a um, direct quotation scribed by John, who was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote it as he heard it and as he saw it. And so it becomes really an inside story or a revelation of what is on the inside and what it's all about. I mean, what it's is, what is the whole plan that God has had for mankind is all wrapped up in this book. And so looking at it that way, it is really beyond us. It's beyond me to really be able to explain it. And I'm not trying to kid myself or pull the wool over your eyes. This isn't to try to hide or even to impress you with my knowledge or your knowledge or your understanding or our ability. We really need spiritual insight. We need power to understand what is being spoken in this book. And so I'm going to lead us in another prayer just so that our minds will be in tune with what the Word of God is saying. Let's pray. Father, this, this is an amazing account, record, that we have in this book. Some things are way beyond our possibility of conceiving what we're talking about. And so we just ask that the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and our guide, who lives within us, to be able to instruct us and show us the way. And so we commit these words today and even my inability to project it or to speak it and our ears to be able to hear it and receive it to our heart. May every person see one, at least one aspect or one truth this morning that we can take away and make it our own this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ to the messenger or the pastor or the leader of the church in Sardis. We've been talking about seven churches. This is the fifth church we're studying about. It's written to seven churches all of them in Western Tokyo, uh, Tokyo. <laughs> Western <laughs> Turkey, and it is just a small circle of churches, starting out with Ephesus, going up to Smyrna, up to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and finally today to Sardis, and we have yet two other churches to cover. These messages are specific to certain churches after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead 
returned to the Father and left the church and its fate or its progress in the hands of his disciples, the disciples of Jesus. And they basically moved from Jerusalem, Judea, and to Turkey, and eventually to Rome, and even beyond that. But these churches, specifically in Western Turkey, were examples or kind of keys to understanding the problems, the aspirations, how they functioned in relationship to Jesus Christ, who came and gave himself for the church. And the church is basically a gathering of believers together. Some of these churches weren't very big. Some of them were large, larger than we are here. Probably this church of Sardis was about our size, about this size of a number of people. They were a real church with a real history. Sardis was probably not a city that is famous as, say, Ephesus or even uh, Philadelphia. And I'm not talking about Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But these churches were picked out by Jesus Christ to explain to us the nature of the church. It's not that, well, I'd like to go to, say, Thyatira. Well, the church isn't there really anymore. At least I haven't been able to find that on the internet. You should be able to find some of these places on the internet. Well, these are ancient 2,000 years ago churches. They've moved on, and so history has moved on as well. So many of them are just a pile of stones. But near them are communities and people who are Christians. In this gospel, as Jesus said, he said, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, then go out throughout the world. And that has been the mission and the commission of the Christian church to spread from Jerusalem to the rest of the parts of the world. And this is an example with these seven churches of the effect of what Jesus Christ had for a vision for his church. And so if you take it like a a projector, you've got a source of light and it spreads out to it hits a, well, it's like this uh, projector up here so that we can see this picture. And if you look beyond this picture, the scope or the cone, it just keeps going and goes wider and wider. So that's kind of how we need to look at these seven churches, that the effect gets wider and wider as it spreads to, of all places, Tokyo, Japan or it may be even back to Turkey, or even to Jerusalem. In fact, there's a movement right now, that's been going on for several years now, in the Chinese church. You know that the Chinese church may be the largest church in the world. And right now, the communist government is concerned about the effects of the church. And once again, they're putting pressure on the Chinese church. We have Chinese brothers and sisters here in this congregation, and we pray for you. We thank God for 
the fact that we have you to be worshiping with us here in Japan. But God's message is going out with power and with the ability to be interpreted in various cultures and languages. It's a very flexible message, a flexible gospel, which is focused on Jesus Christ himself, but in every one of our hearts. This morning is very important for us to receive this message to us. There is a blessing in this book that we uh, have been reading, and I would like us to read this together this morning. Usually I have just read it myself. Can we read this together? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Very pointed message, but the first word describes what this is. It is a blessing. It is a blessing for us to be able to look at these scriptures and be able to apply them to our modern life here, 2,000 years later from when this was written. Revelation 3, 1 to 6 will tell us the story of this church of Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what we have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then we're going to just follow this simple outline that is exactly the same for each of the seven churches. It's a simple outline. First of all, it's to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? And the angel, as we've discovered, is a messenger. And it means that in this context, the angel is the pastor of the church. Believe it or not, <laughs> I am an angel. <laughs> no, and by the way, angels do not have wings. That is a farce. That is not the truth about angels. They do not have wings. Well, cherubim and seraphim have, but not angels. They are male figures, male bodies, in every case in the Bible. Let's go on. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Let's just think about this because this has uh, been mentioned once before in chapter 1. It's from he who has the seven spirits of God. 
Are there seven spirits of God? You'll find in Revelation that seven has the number and the meaning, not just the number, but it has the meaning of fullness, completed. Seven is a number that is for years, not just in English, but in all languages, has had the concept of being complete. And so this word seven is not the number seven. But here's something that I learned this week. And by the way, it speaks of this four times in uh, Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 5. And chapter 5 and verse 6. Speaking of the spirits of God. But all of them, I think, go back to an ancient prophecy in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Dave read for us chapter 11. I think it was 1 to 10. And it has to do with the lineage of Jesus Christ and is speaking of Jesus Christ. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Who was Jesse? King David's father. Okay, so that's the lineage or the shoot coming out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Who was David's most famous offspring? It was actually Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, not only was Jesus Christ an offspring of David and Jesse, but in the lineage of Jesus, which is found in, well, here, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me just explain this first. The seven spirits are describing Jesus. We're backing up, okay? Put it in reverse and let's go back here. I'm explaining what these seven spirits are. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is spoken of in Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. If you count, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's one. Spirit of wisdom is two. The spirit of understanding is three. Spirit of counsel is four. Spirit of strength is five. Spirit of knowledge, six. And the fear of the Lord. Spirit of the fear of the Lord. All of those things are characteristics of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means when we say that seven spirits of God and the seven stars, he who has the seven spirits of God. Okay, let's go on from that. When we were talking about the branch of Jesus, the thing that we can take away or understand of this is that not only was Jesus born of David through Mary, who birthed Jesus, Joseph was also a descendant of David, and the two met in Jesus Christ, the lineage. So that Jesus Christ actually, his father and his mother, his earthly father and his mother, harp back to the descendants 
of David. And this is the phenomena. This is how God, through, if you want to check that out, it is in Matthew and also in Luke chapter 3. You can check that out. Let's go on now then to where we are with I know. I know who you are. I know he knows everything about us. And we talked about that in our prayer as well as our introduction. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. That seems to be contradictory, and it is. You have a name that you're alive, and that may be that someone might say, hey, MCC is a great church to go to, but yet there may be some deadness that we need to be awakened from. In fact, I think there is. We just can't be sitting here in our chairs and listening. God is wanting to stir our hearts so that we will be the church that moves out into the marketplace and begins to share Jesus Christ with those that we rub shoulders with, both in our family as well as our workplace. Are you alive or are you dead? Are you asleep? says, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. When it says you are dead, it's meaning that you're just not moving. You're just not engaged. You're just going through the motions. Is that the kind of Christian you are? Or are you really pressing in and you've woken up to the fact like God wants me to be active where I'm living? Whether it's in school, in our office, when we're out shopping, when we're out in the public eye, he wants us to be awake and aware that he's with us there so that we can be active, strengthened, and strengthening those things that are about to die He's got a lot of work for us to do. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. He has something special about what you're going through these days. Maybe you've lost your job or you quit your job. Maybe you're making a shift and you think, well, where am I going from here? Many of you may be in that situation or you've just gotten a new job. Why has God got me in this company? What is the purpose? And I think that that is God's call to us as believers to complete what he has for us to do. Jesus is saying to his church, rise up, wake up, rise up, remember what you have heard and what you've received. And then he says a very hard word for us to take. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Repent is not a word that we like to hear, nor do we like to even speak it. Repent has, I think, the idea that we've been wrong, that we're under judgment, and that we need to do some house cleaning, so to speak, in our own lives. Coming to a place where we're under conviction, 
that we're not really living like a Christian in our homes or in our office or school or wherever it may be. And we feel condemned by someone saying, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. You need to smarten up. You need to get your house in order. We don't really like to hear those kind of things, do we? Everybody's got a somber face right now. We don't like hearing that. But you know, for someone who really loves us, how many of you have been told by your mother you need to clean up your room? Uh-huh. Okay, I see all you honest. I see some people that aren't very honest. <laughs> but what does it mean? You've got to start putting things in the sock drawer. You've got to put your shirts away. You've got to fold your slacks or pants and hang them up on a hanger. You can't just throw them off and let them lay there for a week. You've got to repent. You've got to change your ways. I'm talking because I'm experienced. I listened to my wife talk to our children about picking up their rooms. She is a fastidious housekeeper, I would say. Not to a fault, but she is nice to live with. And she picks up after me many times. But I've learned to get in shape, and I have repented many times. Okay, I won't put it there anymore. I'll put it where it's supposed to be. That's all repentance is. It's not a condemnation. It is someone who cares about you when they say, you've got to change. You've got to make an adjustment in your life that comes along with order and responsibility. That's what repentance means. In fact, we should welcome it when somebody says, you need to repent. Something's out of order. Something is needing adjustment. Actually, everybody knows, Katie's my best repent giver, and I key off of her when I am preaching here that I'm off track and she's smiling nicely and I know that she wants me to get on here. <laughs> Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour that I will come to you. Okay? This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said this at least four times in the Bible. I will come like a thief. Jesus is a thief? No, he's like a thief. What's the nature of a thief? The nature of a thief is to sneak up on somebody and steal their purse. Or to come in your home while you're sleeping, open the window and get in and steal all those brownies that you just baked on the kitchen counter. A thief comes when you least expect him. In fact, there are many people who are wannabe thieves, and those are the ones who get caught and are called thieves. There are many thieves who never get caught, and yet 
they are thieves. The first kind that get caught is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I will come like a thief in the night. And so that thief comes in. He's not very smart. He hasn't learned all the rules yet. But Jesus is the perfect thief. And what is he coming to rob from us? We don't think of Jesus in in terms of being a thief, do we? No, we don't. But he says four times, I will come like a thief. And you won't know what time it is that I will come. And I'll come when you are not expecting me. And he knows exactly what that is. And Jesus even said, no one knows when Jesus will be sent back to earth. No one knows except the Father, not even the Son. And on that day that God says to his Son, okay, Son, go. And he will come back to earth when we're least expecting it. We think we've got all the cameras out there so that they would warn us when somebody approaches. There is no warning camera that can pick up on Jesus coming. So don't count on it that Jesus coming back, you've got lots of time and you can prepare because he'll come like that. And that's what he's saying. He'll come without you ever expecting it. He's not a thief. In fact, he comes and brings for us what we need, and we need to be prepared for his coming. Are we prepared? Are we preparing ourselves? Are we obeying? Are we walking in his will and purposes? Is he so very close to us that we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready for you to come. Can we be in that place of readiness for Jesus to come? He says, you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Matthew 24, 43 is one of those places that he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you preparing yourself? And he's talking to the people of Sardis. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Wow, what kind of people are these? What kind of people are we? What kind of Christians are we? Walking with Jesus in white. Are we worthy? What does it mean to be worthy? 3 John 1.6 Act faithfully in a manner worthy of God. Thessalonians 2.12 Walk in a manner worthy of God. Colossians 1.10 Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Philippians 1.27 Act in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
in Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has given you. That's where our hearts should be. That's what our attitude should be. That we walk in his grace, in him as our God, personally, every day, in our everyday walk of life. And then he goes on in commending those who have overcome and who are overcomers. An overcomer is a person who is victorious, has completed the assignment that he was given to do. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What we're talking about here right now, this overcoming, what is the occasion of this overcoming? What is this occasion of being clothed in white garments? What he's actually talking about is a wedding. He's talking about we as believers in Jesus Christ are called the bride. And we'll get into that later on in Revelation. We are the bride of Christ, those who believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you guys don't think of yourselves as being a bride, but just look at some of the beautiful brides that are in this room. And they are a reflection of what it's like for us to be alongside Jesus Christ as his bride. He says, I will confess them before my Father. Here's a story that Jesus told, and we're going to end this message with this passage from Matthew 22, 1 to 7. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted livestock, all are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went on their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. That's the story that Jesus told about a wedding feast. And what wedding feast was he talking about? He was talking about his own wedding and the invitation that was going out, and the invitation that is going out even here this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not identified yourself as the bride of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, you're going to be those that say, well, I'm too busy. I can't be involved. I'll just be doing my own thing. And I'm good enough. I'll make it. No, you won't. No, you won't. Jesus Christ is gathering in those who will be identified as his bride. And there will be a feast in heaven where we will be those who have been redeemed and bought, and we will take on the name 
of Jesus Christ. And he will be our husband. We will be his bride. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. That's what Jesus is preparing us for in this book of Revelation. And we're going to be seeing this through the book of Revelation. That is the objective of this book. And Sardis gave him an opportunity to speak to us this morning about being the bride of Christ, of wearing white garments, not dressed in our own stinking, filthy, good works, not dressed in those things that are fading away, but that are permanent. He's calling to us to be his bride. And that is a high calling, to be alongside him throughout eternity, doing the things that he wants us to do. That's what our life is about here on earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is an opportunity for us to understand what true Christianity is about. And we know that in some of these things that we've talked about this morning, they might be over our head, but we pray that those things that you want us to keep in our hearts and minds this week and the rest of our lives is to really understand your objective, your purpose, why we're sitting here in this basement room right now. To be those who respond to you and to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the way out of the meaningless situations in our lives. Thank you for bringing to us reality and what it is to live as a Christian in this present day. Continue to speak to us this week that we would walk in your ways and know the joy that it is to have our sins forgiven, to walk in your ways, to be obedient, to walk in victory with your strength, with your word. We expect to see you soon and this reality to be something that came faster than we knew it was going to come. I pray your blessing on everyone who has heard these words. And now may the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit that he would give to us understanding to apply to our lives those things that we need to walk in his ways to be able to put on a white garment and walk with you in your purity here in this world. Grant each one of us a vision and a, a desire and a purpose to make our lives an honor and a glory and a credit to our Lord Jesus Christ. That we not slumber and sleep and just while away our lives. I pray your blessing on every one of us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.